Hi, welcome to our Hot Rod Bible Study. And so we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 tonight. And so we're going to be reading it in its entirety, and then we'll, uh, we'll see what the Lord has for us. So here we go, uh, verse 1. It says, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop, then, must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, least being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith, with a pure conscience but let these also first be tested then let them let them serve as deacons being found blameless likewise their wives must be reverent not slanderers temperate faithful in all things let deacons be the husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own houses well for those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Wow, amazing chapter. Amazing, amazing. So as we see that uh, Timothy, as he's, um, as Paul is ministering to Timothy and his He's given him uh, what he needs uh, for what's what's next. We saw uh, last week as we were in chapter two, uh, we saw that Paul uh, was telling Timothy uh, to pray for all men. And one of the things that he told him that in all supplications and intercessions that he would pray for all men. Um, and what was interesting about last week is that one of the things that really stood out last week was one of the things that he asked us to pray for is for pray for those that are in leadership. And we see as, as uh, our country, and we talked a little bit uh, about our new administration and, and our new president. And so I love that, uh, you know, that the guys have put on their prayer list before the study, did, you know, uh, last week and this week for praying for our government, uh, for praying for our new president. Uh, and we talked about this last week that oftentimes I think that we uh, struggle that sometimes that maybe they don't um, maybe don't stand for godly things that are going on in the world. But there is no way that they are going to come. And God... There is no job too big for God. And so if we come to the Lord and we ask the Lord um, to, uh, we should, as individuals, we should also pray in our daily prayers. We should pray for the government. Uh, it's, it's important uh, that we would do those things. And so uh, one of the other things that, the, uh, that Paul had told uh, Timothy, that these things in the sight of God uh, were a good thing, that in the eyes of God, that it was good, that we would pray for all men. And I believe it was Paul that brought it up last week that, said that, you know, uh, regardless of when we said all, and I think we used one of Willie's words, we said all men all, uh, regardless of where uh, background they come from. If maybe uh, we talked a little bit about in their work class or maybe even their religious uh, nationalities, we talked about the way people are separated. But yes, we should pray for all men and women. Um, and, you know, and it doesn't even matter if they are in this country or not, we should pray for them. And so we saw that in the sight of God that this was a good thing. And one of the things also that I, I really stood out last week was that, that God, he told him that he had a desire that all men be saved. 
all men would be saved. And this is, uh, we oftentimes, we quote this verse very, um, that, it, that God, he um, doesn't want anybody um, to go uh, down the road without him. Um, and one of the things that um, he often says is that none would perish and that all would come to repentance. And this, so this is the heart of God, and this is very powerful. Um, I came from a religion um, that often, I oftentimes, I, I, I think I, you know, oftentimes I tell you guys this all the time, that I came from a religion that oftentimes prayed that I oftentimes thought that God was upset with me, that I could never please the Lord. And so I got to the point where I would come to despair, and I would say I'm so far from God that <clears throat> I, I didn't know how I was ever going to get close to, you know, how I was going to get near to him. And so it was hopeless because I would lose hope and saying that I could never. But and then thank the Lord that the Lord loved me so much that he sent somebody that I worked with. Um, and it's amazing. He sent a person that I work with. And I'll just really briefly tell you this, that a person that I used to work with, he used to invite me to come to church. Um, and oftentimes I would tell him um, that I would tell him, yes, I'm going to come with you. I'll come with you. His name was Dwight. And I would tell him, yes, I'm going to come with you. And, um, and what I loved about him and what really witnessed to my heart is that when I didn't go on Sunday with him and I, you know, he made plenty of attempts to try to meet me and he made it way, way easy for me. Um, and I still, I, my heart just didn't have it to go. And, and I ignored him when he went back on Monday, he acted like I had went and he had just said, Hey, are, are we going to come this Sunday? And it was just another new week and he never gave up. And it's just the, the love of Christ. And, and we see that in, and so like, so he continually finally got me to come and like they said, like they say, the rest is history. And once you come to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, that you come and know the grace of God, that he isn't upset with us, that he loves us, that he loves us. And, you know, as we've been talking in this study, it's amazing. We last week we were talking about some of the signs. Um, prayer changes things, that I, you know, the signs that I've been seeing. You know, I saw one today, uh, just huge signs there at Cal Mason. And it says, Jesus loves you. It's a huge billboard sign. And it's just amazing to see with all that's going on in the world um, that we can see that we need God. We need God and he's all around us. And so it's just amazing. It's touching. Um, but one of the things that we saw that um, we talked a little bit about there as we were, I was trying to dance my way through some of the things about the women. They were talking about their, the way that they should dress and their, uh, their modest apparel, that the way that they come to church. Um, and so Paul was addressing this very early. And um, we talked a little bit about this, that this was um, in the feet in Ephesus. And so we oftentimes knew how the people dressed. And so uh, it's not so much that the way that the women were dressing, it's that uh, Paul knew that we are stimulated men uh, visually, and so that we would not be distracted and take away from the things of God. And so this is the reason why he talked to, her, uh, talked to the women in this way. And so we talked a little bit about church order um, and the way that things are the order. And, and one of the things that I loved about that is he oftentimes, he mentioned there at the end of the chapter, Adam and Eve. Um, that Adam was created first. And, and this doesn't mean that, that we are superior to women. Uh, it just means that this was the order that God laid out. And this is the order. And so I think that's important uh, that we see that. And oftentimes that we talked about this heavily last week, that if we love our, our wives like Christ loves the church, that this, this order in our household and in the church, I don't believe it will be a problem. Um, and so uh, we're going to pick it up here. Um, Paul now turns his attention as he is talking um, early to Timothy. He's going to turn his attention uh, to the qualifications of an overseer. And we're going to see that um, here in verse 1. And so here we go, um, verse 1. So um, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. And so many many people think, I, I think when I was young growing up, if you uh, told me that somebody had a desire to be a bishop, I would think of a guy that, you know, had a hat that was like all up in the air and he carried a staff with him. He had all this like, you know, garb that he was on. He walked around and to me that was a, a bishop. Um, but reality is in the uh, the Greek, um, episkopos is, is what it, the way it's pronounced, episkopos, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, uh, is a bishop, but that's considered an overseer. It could be a, an elder or a pastor. Um, it could be, um, they said they could even be, they considered it at times a shepherd. Uh, somebody would shepherding the people. And so this is a, a spiritual need in the church. And we're all familiar with a pastor, um, priest. I'm sure we've come with, it, with this. And this is what they're talking about here. And they say if a man desires this in his heart, that it is a desire, he desires a good work. Um, one of the things that I, I love about this, but one of the things that people talk about ministry, um, one of the things we shouldn't leave out, it is work. Um, you know, I'm amazed that, you know, Pastor Ed, he... A while back, it just really jumped out at me that he talked about, uh, I don't know if it was a true story that happened to him. He was talking about a man that had come and said he had a desire to be a pastor. 
And one of his desires, the reason why he wanted to be a pastor is because he said, hey, you guys only work on Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> so this was his desire. And I love the way uh, that Pastor Ed's reaction was. And reality is, I think, uh, naively, I think people that are outside of the church, they oftentimes they think that the pastor, yeah, it must be pretty simple. Um, but they wouldn't believe, you know, that I think we all kind of know that the pastor's you know, 24-7, they never have, you know, the, uh, they're always tending to the sheep, always tending to the sheep. And I know Pastor Ed, like you said, though, this is a thing that, you know, in ministry that has always driven me. And, it, and it's, for us for, as men, it, it, his witness is so powerful um, as a man, as a leader, as the pastor of the church. Um, because one of the things that really stands out to me is uh, I know that his day off is on a Monday. Usually he takes, that's his, supposed to be his day off, his one, one and only day off. But it really isn't his day off because, um, you know, I, I know I've been there. Um, I've actually experienced that it was sometime that somebody, a member of my family was um, taken to the hospital. And somehow, some way, I don't know how, because I didn't call him. Nobody that I knew knew him. Uh, but he showed up at the hospital and said, I came to pray uh, for one of your daughters. And, and so, like I said, though, I, I know that, that men of God, like uh, Pastor Ed, they're, they're amazing. Like you said, though, the Lord uses them in a mighty way. And so they have to have that. And so but we need to know, like you said, though, that Pastor Ed, we are so blessed to have somebody like Pastor mm -hmm. Ed, um, you know, uh, in our church. Because it's just such an amazing thing. Hey, hey Mike. Go I'm ahead. Go ahead, Art. When it said that the man is desired, is that more like he's, he's being touched for that position? Yes, if you have I, I can't, like Pastor Ed, for example... He was told when he when he came to to the church mm -hmm. that uh, that he was going to be a pastor, and he was like, "Who me? No, you're talking to the wrong guy." That's you right. know, blah blah yes. blah. Yes. And uh, and like I said, though it is a calling. Like I said, though, and I think that the Lord puts that on their heart. But oftentimes, like, like he's you know, and his I know his testimony. So like I said, though it's it's a pretty amazing testimony. Uh, but God, like I said, though he he puts things in, in people's hearts, and and I think we're going to cover a little bit of that tonight. Uh, but one of the things I can say is that it's amazing to see um, somebody like Pastor Ed that now uh, you can look back and you can say that he's definitely a man. You know, he definitely, you oh, know, absolutely. has a calling. You know, he has a calling. And, and you know, some of these qualifications that we're going to talk about tonight, um, it isn't so important as uh, his character. Um, and I think that's one of the things that really stands out is Pastor Ed. He oftentimes a biochemist and he talks about his background. He talks about, you know, and, and, and the thing that the you know, that so amazes me is that all along the Lord, you know, as, as Pastor Ed, we all know he has a love for cars just like us. But through that, all, all, all through that, the Lord was thinking of each and every one of us because he knew that as Pastor Ed had a love for, he was biochemist. And so he's very, very driven in, those, in, that, in that field. But and then to, to put that into the word of God. But and then to have that love for automobiles, and then I think all along that in Pastor Life's and Pastor Ed's life, he was thinking of us, yeah. and because he would draw men, yeah. and and this is what he told his disciples that right he would make them fishermen of men, mm -hmm. and this is the thing that makes uh, Pastor Ed so you know exciting about he draws us in, uh, and so yeah I do believe it's a calling, it's a position, uh, but like so though it's more than a desire just wanting to be because I, I know a lot of men and we're going to talk this a, a little bit about it tonight. It's godly character. I think that one of the things that really stands out. So uh, just real quick, I want to point this out in verse 1, if you didn't know this. Um, it said this is a faithful saying. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually seven of them. Um, and this is number two um, here as we go through um, in 1 uh, Timothy uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 15 uh, was the first one. This is the second one. There'll be the third one here um, coming up. And in 2 Timothy, there'll be another one. And then there's two in Revelation. And so anyway, just uh, something as you, as you go through the Bible and you see these things. So here we go in uh, verse 2, it says... A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, and able to teach. And so, wow, this is a this is a tall order here um, of this uh, overseer. And, and when I see a, a bishop here, I, I just go back to overseer. Uh, I wrote down a couple of things of blameless. Let's start at the top, blameless. Um, nothing to hold against this person. Um, it does not mean that this person it needs to be a sinless person. And I think that um, oftentimes in the church, I think oftentimes we, we, we need to be somebody that's, that's uh, reputable, right? Somebody that's not uh, innocent of wrongdoing, I wrote down. Um, those are some of the things that these people uh, must be blameless as we, as we look to that. Um, there probably is a couple other things that a person should be, but um, these are the things that, um, and, and these are the things that they shouldn't uh, obtain to, okay, so if somebody's not looking at this list, 
and they're saying, hey, I need to be these things if I have that desire in my heart to be a pastor. It should be things that are already part of their lives. Right. This should be something that's already part of their lives. Their character. Their character. This should be their godly character. The next thing, a husband of one wife um, does not say that he has to be married. So there is pastors who are not married. And so it doesn't say that he has to be married. But he should be faithful to his wife, I, not a playboy or a flirt. It says here... Um, his uh, attention should be for his wife. And this is important. This is very, very important. Uh, many of churches uh, have been torn apart um, by pastors or by leaders in the church um, that when they uh, follow or after women, or we all know that, um, and this is where the enemy works, right? This is where the enemy works. Oftentimes, I think we think in the, in the house of God that we think that oftentimes that if it's somebody in the church, we oftentimes think, but I, I love one of the rules um, some of my daughters, if you guys don't know this, some, a couple of my daughters have actually worked for the church. And Pastor Ez has a really uh, strict rule, um, and, I, and I love his rule that he has. He said that if you're in another room with a female, that you should never be alone. Never be alone. Never. And so he, and he, if he goes into a room, and, and you know, my, even my daughters say that he, even him or even the other pastors, they would come to the church, and they would be in the, in the storage room, and they would be in there finally. And if one of the pastors come in, he would turn around, he'd go out, and he would bring someone else with him. And I just think that this is just so honorable, um, that this is the way that we should walk. Because like I said, though, we know. And, and oftentimes, I think us as men, we can always say, oh, no, this is, you know, this is way beyond me. But we need to remember, uh, as David, as he was, if we know that the story, as David, as he sinned with Bathsheba, he was over 50 years old. So I know there's a lot of men that I, that I interact with, they said, oh, I'm way past that. Never say that because we never know that the enemy comes in and this is where he, he wants to destroy us. We talked about this last week that he wants to destroy our family. And so we need to be men, uh, like I said, the husbands of one wife. And this is for uh, the overseer here. And so anything, uh, anyway, uh, temperate, um, uh, not uh, wide mood swings, um, kind of, you know, uh, level, level headed person, uh, sober minded. Uh, at first, I kind of thought that was maybe had something to do with drinking, but uh I, I wrote down this, uh, I looked it up, and it said, not always uh, joking around, uh, but knowing when to be serious, um, good behavior. Um, interesting, um, this is the same word used in 1 uh, Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 9, and it, it explained the modesty of the women. And so this is what it's talking about here, good behavior, to be modest, um, to be walking in the ways of God. Um, this is important for us. Hospitable, um, somebody that's hospitable, but somebody that's would open up their house um, to have a study that somebody would be willing to invite you over to um, not only to your house but maybe to the church um, that we would people that would be invited you could see there's somebody that has a need um, and that you would be hospitable into trying to figure out a way to meet that need and so hospitable is one of the other things um, this is interesting able to teach and um, you know I think that many people look at this and they say well that's pretty you know simple of course you would if somebody was going to be an overseer they should be able to teach but I think the, the thing that really jumps out at me here is that somebody that can't is willing to uh, to learn from someone else. And so, you know, we're led by the Holy Spirit. Um, the, Pastor Ed is, 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 like you said, though, he's great in that, that he is led by the Holy Spirit. But I, I love this. Pastor Greg, I, I went to one of his studies on a Sunday night once, and he said, there's no way that I can give out what I haven't taken in. And so it's important that as, you know, as, as Pastor Ed spends many of hours, you know, trying to study and trying to give us what he gets in the word of God. And so it's amazing to see that able to teach uh, that that person must also be teachable. Uh, it's important, I think, to, that they would know that. Um, and so um, we'll pick it up here. And I believe we're now we're in verse uh, three. And it says, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. And so as we pick this up here, it says, not given to wine, pretty self-explanatory. Um, but I wrote down a verse, uh, Proverbs uh, 31, 4 and 5. It said, it is not for kings to drink wine, nor for princes. Intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law. <clears throat> and I think as, as a pastor, as a leader, as, a, as a, a leader in the church, even the elders of the church, I think it's so hard for us to remember what's going on in scripture and what's going on all together when we're sober um, that how can we remember everything when if we're intoxicating drink and really as me as personally uh, alcoholism has gone through my family rampant through my through my family 
And one of the things that really jumps out at, at me is that many of arguments, I remember as a child growing up, I remember my mother and father arguing over alcohol many of nights. Uh, and one of the things that I, you know, I, I was looking at this here, and one of the things uh, that really jumps out at me, if um, my father would have saw um, you know, the priest drinking alcohol, he would have used it for an excuse to, continue, to end the argument with my mother to say, well, if the priest can drink, then that means that I can drink. Right, and so we we don't understand, and I think this is the reason why it's here in the Word of God, is that we don't want to have to stumble somebody um, in the. We don't want to stumble somebody that they have a problem because my father he had a problem with it. There's other people that don't have a problem, but he had a problem with it. Go ahead, Jerry. Uh, so kind of understand maybe not having your senses dulled by an outside influence, either yeah. by alcohol, by money, uh, temptation, of that kind of stuff. So yes, to yes. Confirm yes. The yes. Word. yes, alcohol here in particular, like you said, they'll give it to wine. He's going to get into here a little bit more um, about money. Uh, he's going to get in a little bit more as we go down the list. Um, so yeah, given to wine for sure, Jerry, that's good. Um, like so, it could be anything. It could be anything that uh, you know. Like so, though, it could be drugs. Could be. I mean, of course, we you know, and a man of God shouldn't be involved in any kind of you know drugs, of course, or wine. But, uh, but you know, interestingly enough, um, you know, the Word of God does not say that that a man of God needs to stay completely away from it. But I, I love the way that um, you know one pastor that I follow from um, Calvary Chapel Montebello that says that he wouldn't even drink a glass of apple juice out in his front yard. Uh, because he said he didn't want to give people the wrong impression that he was drinking alcohol. And so it's so important and stuff for their, their witness. Because um, like I said, though, there, there's other people that are watching, and we've talked about that. The next thing is not violent. Um, this is private or public. And it's interesting when oftentimes their churches talked about, I was, I was uh, looking this up, I, there was churches that said that when they have men that they're considering for a pastor, or maybe even a, a, a it could be even a youth pastor, uh, somebody they're considering, um, that they oftentimes that they interview the wife. Um, they ask the wife, you know, how is uh, Mike act at home? Does he is he you know fly off the handle? Is he you know I, you know? There's people that and anger is one of those things. Uh, uh, anger is one of those things. I think that everybody has gotten upset and done something that maybe they have regretted. But one of the things violent really stands out is violent against their children, against their wife. Um, these are the things that really stand out um, that, you know, that in, the, in the church, I think, that really stands out. And so I just thought it was interesting that oftentimes they interview the wife. And this, that should have been an interesting, an interesting interview, I'm sure. You know, I want to say something to that too, Mike, is that I think for all of us as men with families and stuff, that's probably, uh, I, would, I would safely say that I would think that not one person in this room would ever have an issue of being violent against yeah. our wives. Yes. However, I will say this, that in this modern day time, uh, just as recent as several years ago, a very contemporary Christian church here uh, fell apart because a pastor was abusing and beating his wife. Yes. And yes. it's an absolutely disastrous yes. situation yes. to see God's house and it's just a calling for each of us to always present that um, gentle, caring, sure. uh, nurturing spirit. Sure. And sure. it starts right in our own home. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Absolutely. And, and and I think that one of the things that really stands out in my life um, is, you know, even being in a house that came from like physical where we saw people get physical and, and you know, uh, abuse in the house. But one of the things that, that I love is you come to know Christ. Um, that you get yourself in, involved in things like this, the Bible study, walking with other believers that oftentimes that, you know, Pastor, not only Pastor Ed, there's been people here that have mentored to me and said that, you know, when you get in a situation when things are not going well at home, take a walk, take a walk, go for a walk, go in the garage, you know, us, we're car guys, you know, go in the garage, you know, those are the things. That, and I think that young men, I think young men today, they need that. They need to know where to go because they just get frustrated and they want to take it out on something and, and they just take it out on the wrong things. And sorry, so, sorry that conversion just came to mind. Don't take the car. Don't, don't, don't take the car. Don't take the car. So I, I just think that really stands out violent. But yes, it very well uh, took Mark. Thank you so much. Um, this is the next one, not greedy for money. Um, and Jerry, we talked about this a little bit. Um, you know, uh, R.A. Torrey, he wrote a book uh, about um, D.L. Moody. And he said uh, that he wanted, this book was about uh, the reasons why God used D.L. Moody. Um, and the, one of the reasons was that he said that in the book, it says, I think it was reason number five. It says that he was completely free of the love of money. He was completely free. And this is the reason why the Lord used him. 
Um, you know, and we know um, we probably we're getting to it here pretty soon. First Timothy 610, it says for the love of money is the root of all evil. Mm. And so those are some of the things. And, and one of the things is if you have not involved that well with the church or you don't know the inner workings of the church and I'm not trying to spill out all their dirty laundry. What's another thing that I love about the church that we go to is that there is always, you know, really, really good checks and balances at the church. You know, um, um, and one of the things that if you've ever, ever gotten in a conversation with, with Pastor Ed and any pastor, um, they don't touch the money. They never around the money. They never you know, interact with money. They're never even close to the money. It's always other people in the church. And, and we're going to get to that, the deacons of the church. We're going to get to that. But I think it's so important um, that like the pastors, because there is different churches, and I didn't cover this in verse 1, um, that the actual, the government of the church um, is so important also as the church is being laid out. And, 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 and here it doesn't tell, it told, it told us that there should be elders in the church, but it didn't tell us how many, how long they should serve. And so oftentimes that, you know, different churches will do different things. And oftentimes the pastor or the guy that's in charge of the church, he'll do everything. He'll be the treasurer. He'll be the, the one that collects all the money. He'll be the one that does everything. And that's a, a, a recipe for disaster. Um, and so this is where oftentimes, and, and like so, and, and I know uh, as, as Mark talked about that we have all good intentions, but let's just said though, this is where the devil, this is where he works. This is where he works. And so we should always have those good checks and balances have you know be credible with all the things that are going on uh, one of the uh, things here last things here a couple things he said uh, gentle um, I wrote like Jesus uh, the next thing as we refer to men we should be considered gentlemen right not quarrelsome uh, not always fighting or looking for an argument um, and then not uh, covetous uh, not you know being satisfied with there's people that are not satisfied with anything and are always looking for other things other than uh, things that belong to them and so here in verse 4, it says, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea here is our families are a lot smaller than the church of God, right? A lot smaller. Um, there's problems, but they're not going to be as big as problems as it is when you come into the church. And this is another thing that we learn uh, from Pastor Ed is that you know, we don't, he always looks, the thing about it is like he said, though, he leans heavily on the Lord. I know he does uh, because like I said, though, and, and maybe some of you guys know him a little bit more personally than I do. He never seems to me to be concerned. He always knows that, that you know, and I'm sure that there's a heavy load on his shoulders, a lot of things going on in the church. And um, and he never, he never shies away from any of them, but he, he takes them on. And so I think it's important that a man, like he said, though, that our, our, our family should be a witness for us, uh, how we interact with our children how we um, how we actually raise our children if we raise our children to be godly um, what has come out in the church also is that uh, adult children people that have moved outside the house people have used this against pastors and said hey well your your children are living this lifestyle and that's not godly but once they live outside the, the household the, the the pastor can be held accountable for what happens he he put down the foundation the godly foundation for what is going on in their lives and so he can't be held responsible for what his children are doing um, all he can do is pray for them and minister to them as they come um, we can't we can't be held responsible for what is going on outside uh, so i think that's important so here in verse six it says um not a novice uh, at least being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil and this just means not somebody that's not a new um new believer somebody that's just recently been converted because um, oftentimes that if you give them a promotion in the church and you say, hey, well, we really don't have anybody. You're like this newest guy. You're just converted. We're going to make you the pastor. Um, and if, <laughs> if he becomes the pastor, I mean, this has happened in churches um, that they make him the pastor um, and he becomes the pastor. All of a sudden things are starting to happen. You know, the church is starting to grow. And then just like it says here that this pride comes in. Right. They start to think that it's them. And any man of God. And I think this is that you talked about the calling and somebody that has a desire in their heart. I think the biggest thing as a man of God needs to have that desire that knowing that it is God. And I think that this is what, why it stands out here. And this was what I'm going to point out with Pastor Ed, that the Bible says that God uses the weaker things of the world or the lesser things of the world. And, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful way with Pastor Ed. I don't mean it in a disrespectful way. But this is the thing that jumps out at me here is that, that people would see that people that, that, know, that, that speak about God, that, they're say, that they would look at, I even take myself, that people would look at me and say, there must be a God. If Mike can talk about God, there must be a God. There must be a God. And this, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I, it just The people we would see would be brought to Christ by just knowing by our witness. 
Mike. Yes. Um, there's one thing about, we're speaking about character here. Yes. And um, one thing that stands out to me about our pastor, Pastor Ed, is that I describe Pastor Ed very respectfully when I say he's a mega brain. I mean, the man has um, intelligence over intelligence, yes. but he's so doggone humble. humble. Yes. He's just a humble man. He That's doesn't right. think he's the, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Not at all. Yes, very humble. Like you said, though, that's another characteristic right there. Absolutely. Very characteristic of him. So uh, we, verse 7, it says, Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach as the snare of the devil. And so uh, it's interesting what jumped out there is a good testimony. I think we all know people that we work with or people maybe we even know that are acquaintances um, and they don't have good work. Uh, you know, people that talk in the town, they often say, oh, you don't want to go over to that guy's shop. You don't want to go over. He doesn't do good work. He doesn't do quality work. Uh, he'll rip you off. There's people talk behind it. You know, when I was talking about this, we, we you know, and we always want to make sure that we have a good reputation amongst non-believers. Non-believers, I think it's so important for us to be, to have a good work ethic, to have actually be honest in our business if you do own a business. Um, but what really jumped out at me, what I was studying for this, what really I thought about it was I thought about Ed Martin's garage. You know, mm -hmm. Willie, you know, his grandfather started the business um, and then uh, his father ran the business. And then Willie ran the business. And so it's amazing to see that all those three generations that went through, that it, they had to be people that had done honest, good work. And some of us here at the study have actually gone uh, to Ed Martin's garage. But like I said, though, he's an honorable person. And that's one of the things that really steps, steps, jumps out, that somebody that is the leader, that not only be a, a, a somebody that's reputable just in the church, but be reputable in their business. And, and this is who they are. This is their character. This is their godly character, who they are. This is who they are. I think it's important. Uh, but that really jumped out at me. And so here in verse 8, it says, um, and we're going to get into the deacons now. It says, uh, likewise, deacons must be uh, reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, nor greedy for money. And so deacons, more or less, they, they uh, cover the physical needs of the church. And I think uh, we're a little bit familiar with this. Um, this, this became uh, relevant here in the, in the Bible. It says in Acts 6, I remember that seven people were chosen to serve um, in, in the, when they didn't want to leave uh, ministering the word of God and they said hey let's choose seven people that would uh, actually in, in Acts 6 they talked about this and we remember some of the people that were they chose um, Stephen was one of them um, that they actually chose and also Philip was another one that they chose and these two men um, like you said though and, and oftentimes I think that as deacons um, they're they're ministering to the physical needs of the church and they were given the job of actually uh, giving out money to the widows um, this is the job that they were given uh, in the church. And so this, they, they honored that and they, they did that. But we remember that Stephen, he was promoted. Um, he actually preached the word of God. And we, we saw that through verse 7, that he preached the word of God at the very end. And he was, you know, and then he got to the end where he started, you know, getting a little excited because he was telling them that they had missed God in all, in throughout all the ages that he had missed. And he gets to the end and he calls you know, you brood of vipers, and he starts to, you know, and he really, and remember that he says that he sees that heaven opening up, and this is the only reference they have of Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Um, and I love this because some commentators say that as as a, a believer is coming into heaven, that oftentimes we, that Jesus is referred to as sitting at the right hand of the Father, but when we are coming in the, into the glory of God, that he would be standing, waiting for us to come and, and to be in the presence of God. And I just love that, that we still remember that, that Stephen, he said that I see heaven opening up and, and the Father standing at the right hand, or Jesus standing at the right hand of God. It's just amazing, uh, his view. But I, what I love about there is they were stoning him. Um, he uh, The same thing as Jesus. He said, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? They know they did not. He asked them to forgive them. And and I don't know, as a, as a man, those are one of the things that really stands out. When somebody causes us harm, then for us to go and ask the Lord to forgive them, forgive them for what they've done to us. And this is a heart that I think that all of us need to have. Uh, it's so important that we we'd have those. So here in verse 9, it says, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Um, that This is just if somebody is in a, a deacon that didn't say that they, they should be a person that needed to teach, but um, they should stick to proper doctrine. They should know the word of God. Um, it doesn't mean that they actually have to go out and teach it, but they should know the Word of God, have their foundational truths 
if they are a deacon in the church. And I don't know if you know this, that as I was looking at the list of what do they consider deacons, they can do consider deacons. I know we consider deacons. We're thinking like, hey, that's not our, you know, and that's not in the Christian church. Uh, but deacons are actually, even ushers are considered uh, part of the deacons, that they're the physical needs of the church. And so some of these qualifications here, they actually apply to some of us here in the room. And so I just love that. Um, and so it's more of the physical needs. Um, and I'm only stopping on the things that are um, that we didn't cover already. I mean, we don't need to go over, um, you know, in verse eight, you know, about being uh, away from alcohol and, and much wine and greedy for money. And so I'm just skipping over the ones that we kind of covered already. And so here in verse 10, it says, uh, but let these also first be uh, tested when uh, then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. And many a church have this, um, they oftentimes as deacons, they'll give them, uh, if they're going to usher in the church or they're going to do something for the church, oftentimes they'll give them a trial period. Uh, there's many churches that are made up that way um, before they actually take them on staff. And this should, this should actually happens also on both levels, on the overseers and as the deacons. Um, if there's somebody that they're considering to be actually a pastor, maybe a youth pastor, or maybe somebody that's coming up. And usually, like I said, though, I, I love the way that even our church, they often times they start them off like kind of, you know, start off at the youth pastor and work your way up to where the, wherever they would have you. And I think that godly character is, is getting built also in you as you as you progress in there. And oftentimes that's another testing session that, that everybody around you can see what in different situations uh, that we can see what's going on. And so I think it's important that all of us should be tested. Um, and so it, it's not nothing. Um, I don't think it's anything mean or anything that they're trying to do against us. They're just trying to make sure that we have a good witness because there's nothing that the enemy likes more than to take somebody from the church, as you talked about, and to use them uh, for the negative and say, hey, this person was, is a man of God. And it, it's funny, like, nobody wants to say anything about a man of God, that he is a man of God, until he does something wrong. And then he, is, he was definitely a man of God, and then he did this. Right? He was definitely a man of God, and he did this. Right? Right? And so this is the, where the enemy works also. So Here, here in verse 11, it says, um, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, um, Faithful in all things. The Greek word here for uh, wives that they translated wives is the same word um, that they could use for women. Um, and there was a, a women, yes, can be deacons. Um, and there was one in, in the Bible. It's Romans 16.1 and her name was Phoebe. Mm -hmm. uh, Phoebe. And she, she was a, a deacon and she's in the Bible. Um, but like I said, though, I think it's really important as we're if we're referring to wives here. Um, and I think this is the only occupation, as we talked about Pastor Ed, this is the only occupation that it does uh, incorporate your wife because the wife of a pastor is heavily involved in the ministry and the job. And, and oftentimes I think that as us as men, if we're going to be a carpenter, if we're going to be a if we're going to be a welder, if we're going to be a construction person, oftentimes our wives, yes, they, they're going to be there for us when we come and they're going to, you know, they cook and they do all the other things for us behind and make us lunch. But the pastor's wife is involved, heavily involved. And so when somebody is involved in ministry as the pastor and has the calling, also the wife, uh, we've talked about this with Willie also, that like you said, though, the sacrifices the wife makes, because there's often times I know that Pastor Ed, he wants to spend time just like us and wants to go places with his wife. He wants to take his wife out to a nice dinner. He wants to take her on a little vacation on the weekend, but he needs to be studying the word of God and he needs to be tending to the sheep. And so it's so important that the wife would take in consideration those things. And I think it takes a very special woman to be the pastor uh, or to be the wife of a pastor. Very, very special woman. It's a it's a two part thing. It's the only occupation. And, and remember, that occupation is a 24 seven day, you know, 24 seven. And so I'm sure like Pastor Ed has told many a stories that people come to his house two o'clock in the morning, one o'clock in the morning and they're in need of something. And so difficult job. So here in uh, verse 12, it says, let deacons uh, be the husbands of one wife ruling their own children, uh, their own house well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness uh, in the faith, which is uh, Christ Jesus. So I think many of us believe that, um, that the overseer, oftentimes he is in the forefront and he is the one that's leading. He's the pastor, um, the elders maybe in some of the churches. And oftentimes I think that the deacons, they kind of think that um, that they're you know a lot of us as we come to the church we think they're insignificant but in the eyes of God there is no difference I think as as the church we're all part of the body right and we talked about that being in the body of Christ that you know there's the parts of the head and then there's the arms and there's the legs and the feet and all the toes and all the people and if we're in that body somewhere 
in God's eyes, we're all equally. And I think in, in our world, we oftentimes we put the pastor like up on his pedestals and, and the pastor, like you said, humbly, they never want to be on that pedestal. They want to be considered part of the body of Christ. They want to be sharing in the body and, and the, the move and, and tending to the sheep. Like he said, he's tending to the sheep. It's so important for us to remember that, that, um, that we should know that not always that they're not, we should be equal. And pastors, oftentimes, they want to be considered equal. And I think that's one of the biggest things that stands out as an overseer. If somebody is an overseer and they want to take uh, and they want to they put themselves on this pedestal and they, you know, oftentimes it's funny, like I, I drive by churches and I see that like the pastor will have like certain parking spaces and they'll actually have like, you know, block letter, like, you know, have their name on it and have printed on there. And it's like, and it's right in front of the church. It's not even in the back. You know, it would be a different story if it was in the farthest parking spot in the back. You say, okay, that's the pastor's, you know, but for him to be up in the front. And same thing I've seen churches too, where they're oftentimes the family will actually sit up in the front and every, they have the pews that are all marked off. And it's like, wow, it's like, you know, that talk about humility. It's like, wow, you have a special place for him. But you no, know, like it's so the men uh, that have a, a heart for God. Like they always know that like they're there to serve. It's important for us to see that. You know, Mike, I, I want to just bring this thing. And one of the things that I, that I found like with myself is uh, when I heard for the first time that we're all sinners and even the pastors say we're all, including myself, once that registers in your head, then you're, you're, I don't know about most men, but for me, I want to prove that wrong. <laughs> so you're constantly working yes. to be better. It's yes. constantly no, a job. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, we, we oftentimes, we, we do sin. I mean, throughout, I mean, I, we can't walk a sinless life. Um, but like I said, though, God is doing a work in us. God yes. is doing a work in us and he's changing us. And, and I think if we look back on our lives, who we were before we knew Christ and we look to today, we're much different men than we were. Are we perfected? And, and we, we talked about this before that, uh, you know, somebody I, I believe came and was asking about like, well, when are we going to be completed? And it's going to be a couple of seconds before we take our last breath. And like, so that's going to be when we're completed. And truly, we're never truly going to be made perfected until right. we're in that in that grave and in in, in being with Jesus. And, and that's when we're going to be perfected. Uh, but yeah, it's important for us to be changed. Um, so here in verse uh, 14, uh, now it changes. Uh, we finished with the deacons and now it switch, shifts gear here, Paul does. And it says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. And so Paul had a desire to come to Ephesus and to be with Timothy. Um, this was his desire. Um, the Bible here in the, um, the pastoral letters, it never shows that he does come. Um, to, but he had a desire. He wanted to come to him here. Uh, so in verse 15, it says, but I am delayed, or but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so these are actually the start of nine truths, and we're going to see those, and those truths actually have uh, to do with, uh, with Jesus himself that we're going to see here. Um, and the first one here in this verse is the, the church of the living God. And so we see that the church of the living God, that this is the rock, this is the foundation of uh, what we believe in, right? The church of, of the living God. This is of Jesus, right? And, and I, follow, I know this is a little lengthy, but I'll follow me through this. This, is, this comes from um, Matthew 7, 24 through uh, 27. And it says, therefore, whoever um, hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. It says, but anyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like in him a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain ascended and the floods came and the winds blew beat on that house and it fell, and great was its fall. It's interesting in these two different stories that these group of people, that they were both given the word of God. They were both given the word of God, but one of them took the word of God, and the other one rejected it. And you see that the word of God became the rock, the solid foundation. And this is what Jesus is talking about here, that he is that solid foundation. Um, it wasn't that they built it on a physical rock, that they built it on the rock of the word of God. And so it's so important for us to see that, that we would build our lives on the word of God. So here um, in verse uh, 16, it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, 
seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up in glory. It's an amazing uh, verse here. One of the things that um, you know we see without controversy, um, one of the commentators put there, made a little more sense to me. He says, without question is the mystery of godliness. And that mystery is a hidden truth, and the, hidden, the things that were hidden uh, are now being revealed, and the one that was revealed was Jesus Christ. That he was once hidden, but now is revealed. It's amazing that we would see that. Here, um, in the next one, it says, God was manifested in the flesh. And we all know the verse, right? John 1, 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was, was with God, and the Word was God. This is important. Um, John 1, 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the one and only begotten of the Father, full of grace and, and mercy and truth. And it's so important for us to know this, that, that, God, that Jesus Christ is the incarnated God. This is important for us to know this, and, so, and we should be telling our family and friends um, because there is so many um, other religions that actually there's two that come to um, the Jehovah Witnesses, right? The Mormons, they, they, can, they can get there everywhere in, in, in the Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, right? The, the, um, the Mormons, that we, we call them the Mormons, they actually have Jesus Christ in their, in their name, and, but he is not the incarnated God. He is not the incarnated God. They don't believe this. But one of the things that really, and there's plenty of scripture that backs this up. But one of the things I think that's important is just very simplistically, remember the name Emmanuel, right? God with us, right? This is God with us, the incarnated God. And interesting, um, this is written in uh, Isaiah 714, and it was written 700 BC. It talks about the coming of Isaiah, right? Or I'm sorry, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It's talking Emmanuel in Isaiah. It talks about Emmanuel. And it's also in Matthew 123, um, and this was written in 60 AD, over 700 years that they predicted that the Savior would come and he would be named Emmanuel, God with us. And, and like I said, though, I'm not the sharpest guy in the world, but Emmanuel, when he tells God with us, how can he not be incarnated to God? And there's so many other verses that, that tells about who he is, and he is um, God in the flesh who came uh, to earth. And uh, we're gonna, I'm going to close with a story tonight about that. And so here us. Uh, uh, justified in the spirit. Um, I liked a little bit better. Um, one of the, I believe it was in the ESV, it said that he was vindicated in the spirit. Seen by angels. Um, this is talking about um, uh, here. It says that he was seen by angels. It says, comes from Hebrews 1.6. It says, let all the angels of God worship him. Um, one of the other things that jumps out is um, that when God was incarnated, that um, that the angels, that he, when he came down in the flesh, then he came down, can you imagine this was in heaven, that the angels were, I think that they looked at, at Christ or at God puzzling that he would want to come to earth. And, and they, they witnessed this. They witnessed as Jesus Christ came to earth to save us, to save us. And I, and I think he was a witness. Uh, they were witnesses of seeing this going on. And so here it says, preached um, amongst the Gentiles or the nations, um, and other translations say, and so we know that the Word of God, and we've been covering this, and Pastor Ed, um, once again, was speaking about this on Sunday, about preached all over the world, uh, believed on in the world, um, and this last one, it says, received up in glory. And so this is talking about His ascension, right, of an Acts 1, we remember that? Mm -hmm. But I like uh, Ephesians 4.10 that says, um, He who descended is also uh, the one who ascended far above the heavens, that he might feel all things. And so we know that Jesus Christ uh, was born, right? And we know that he came to this earth as a baby in a manger, right? And we know that he lived a life and that he was uh, killed. He was crucified, right? Crucified. And then he was resurrected. And this, many people preach, and this truly is part of the gospel. But I think the thing that we should never, the complete gospel, <clears throat> that he will return. The complete story is the true gospel is that he will return and he is coming back it's just so amazing and we remember this from first thessalonians 4 16 he said he will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet of god and the dead in christ will rise first what a glorious day that will be and so tonight i want to close with a story tonight about a young grandfather um, who um, 
was going out and he wanted to see his, uh, his family. And so his uh, daughter invited him over. And so he went over to see his daughter. Um, and he, while he was there, um, the, the reality is the reason why he came to see his daughter is because he wanted to see his grandson. Mm -hmm. um, and, and as me being a grandfather, it's this, we just love to come and see our grandchildren. And so he went into the, was looking over the house for his grandson. Um, his, his daughter was telling him, hey, dad, how you doing? And she was kind of giving him the hug, going through the whole thing. And he was, he was happy to see her and, you know, everybody else. But he was kind of looking like, where's my grandson at? Where's my grandson? So he's looking for him. Where's Johnny at? Where's Johnny at? And so he, as he goes through the house and he sees in one of the rooms, which is not his room, he sees him in a playpen in the, and he says, Grandpa, Grandpa, to him. So as he walks by, he's two years old. His name is Johnny. And so Grandpa runs over to him. He kind of kneels down and he, he picks him up and, and he takes him. He's taking him out of the playpen and he already has him pretty much in his arms. And his daughter comes up behind him and says, Dad, he's being punished. Put him back. Put him back in there. And so reluctantly, he kind of starts to put him down. And now Johnny is crying even more. And Johnny is crying to the top of his lungs now. Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. And so he's putting him down and he doesn't know what to do. And his heart is breaking because his grandson is crying. But he knows in his heart that the discipline that his daughter is giving his son, he knows that it's something that's very important. And he knows that it's something that he shouldn't interfere with. And so he thinks about it for a minute, and then his heart, his love for his grandson, gives him an idea. And the idea is that a few minutes later, as his daughter comes in, she sees Grandpa in the playpen with Johnny. <laughs> the discipline was that he couldn't come out, but we see that the grandfather had such a love that he got in the playpen with him. And this is exactly what Jesus Christ did when he was in heaven that he came down and came with us and came and sat next to us. Isn't it amazing to see? Amen. Amen. So let's pray tonight. So Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for this, this Bible study, Lord. We thank you for the men who have gathered here. We thank you for all the people who are online. Lord, we, we ask, Lord, that you would um, minister to us, Lord, that you would um, minister to our hearts, Lord. Give us what we need for the upcoming week, Father. Um, go before us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.